You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 165. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Matthew Fitzsimmons. Simmons is the author of the best-selling Gibson Vaughn series, which includes the short drop and Poison Feather. His latest book, Constance, is a mind-bending thriller set in the near future that will be published on September 1st, uh, but it's currently available for pre-order and as an Amazon first reads. Uh, Constance is already a best-seller on Amazon. It's in the top 20 for the entire Amazon Kindle marketplace. I received an advanced copy. I uh, really enjoyed this book, uh, so highly recommend recommend that you uh, go check it out. But before we get to the interview, I wanted to let you know about Kalytics, which provide powerful data-driven genre reports. Uh, Kalytics uh, scours Amazon and crunches the data and turns it into very insightful, easy-to-read reports that provide data on uh, category analysis, subcategories, uh, common keywords, top authors in the genre, genre book covers of the bestsellers, a list of the uh, top 100 selling books, and a lot more. I've bought the uh, Cozy Mystery, the Mystery Thrillers and Suspense Reports, as well as the Serial Killer uh, Thriller Report in the past, and have found them to be uh, fascinating and insightful. And Alex is the uh, brain behind the uh, Kalytics, and has just released a genre report for Mystery Thriller and Suspense for 2021, as well as another report on Vigilante Justice. Uh, for 2021. And so these uh, reports are hot off the presses. And I just poured over these reports uh, over this past weekend. And they've been, they're awesome, a lot of great information. Uh, Alex also provides a video seminar where he walks you through the whole process. Just literally takes you uh, by the hand and walks you through the entire uh, reports. Uh, so I highly recommend these reports. You can check it out at thrillingreads.com forward slash report. I've been buying these reports now for the last two or three years. Uh, so I reached out to uh, Alex and he was kind enough to set me up as an affiliate because uh, I think if you're a writer, uh, you'll find these uh, reports uh, very useful. Uh, my interest, of course, is in the thriller genres, but Kalytics has reports in all the other uh, genres. Uh, so you can go check them out at thrillingreads.com forward slash report. And any reports that you purchase through my affiliate link uh, will go into supporting this podcast. So I appreciate that. So thank you very much. All right. Here is my interview with uh, Matthew Fitzsimmons. Uh, Hi, everybody. This is Alan with Meet the Thriller Author. And on today's show, I have uh, Matthew Fitzsimmons, who is the author of the best-selling Gibson Vaughn series, which includes The Short Drop and Poison Feather. And his latest book is uh, Constance. And it's a mind-bending thriller in which uh, a breakthrough in human cloning becomes one women's waking nightmare. Uh, I received an advanced copy, so thank you. I've been enjoying it. It's uh, kind of creepy, <laughs> so we'll get into that here in a little bit. Welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Thank you, Alan. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, so before we get into the book and everything, can you tell us a little bit about your background, uh, what led you to now becoming a, a writing these thrillers? I think I, I always loved writing. I wrote my first uh, piece in middle school. It was, uh, we were given a, an assignment to write a 10-page short story, and I wrote a 60-page uh, handwritten. Uh, I'm old enough that it was handwritten. And uh, it was a uh, Lord of the Rings ripoff with an elf and a, and a, and a pegasus. And uh, it was fantastic. I got an A on it but I misspelled the title. Um, the title was the title was the mage in spirit. And I turned it in and my teacher said, uh, what's this word? And I went, it's the mage in spirit. He said, no, this is the mage in spurt. 
and my little eighth grade heart was broken and I could not take even that much criticism. I didn't write another story for years after that. I just I was like, all right, well, I gave that a shot and I'm done. And I spent the next number of years uh, actually sort of got involved in the theater, got very interested in being a, a, a theater director and uh, studied that in college and then went to New York City afterwards and, uh, you know, interned at a, a theater called Playwrights Horizons on 42nd Street and uh, off-Broadway. I directed a couple of things um, and then decided that it wasn't for me. And I was living with a playwright at the time or an aspiring playwright. And uh, I thought, I mean, my big problem with New York theater was I really liked the theater. I just didn't really like dealing with actors and actors' egos. And I had this really terrible, terrible, epiphany was that, uh, hey, writing books is just like directing a place. Only in books, the actors, the characters don't talk back to you. So I, that, that was sort of when it, what got me back towards uh, writing. And uh, so when you decided to write your first book, what was that process like? Did you like, were you able to publish it or, did it, or how, how, how did that go through there from, from the, getting the idea to writing that first book? So I, I started my first book in New York. Uh, the short answer is no, I did not publish it. Um, I spent I spent the better part of my twenties waiting tables, trying to write the great American novel, which uh, I, my 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 go to joke is it turned out to be neither that great nor particularly American. <laughs> um, and by the time I got done with it, I uh, I didn't really like writing anymore. It it it. it proved unsalable. I, I sort of had uh, this like terrible feeling like, oh God, I've wasted my life. <laughs> I've, you know, I, I uh, you know, I, I have nothing to show for the, all of this work uh, and um, I, I need to get a job. I need, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't wait tables anymore. I, you know, I sort of, I took my shot and I missed, you know, like there are a lot, you know, there, there are a thousand of those stories. I took my shot and I missed. And I, uh, I worked in, in, in the tech industry. I live in uh, the Washington, D.C. area. And I, I worked in what was sort of the burgeoning tech corridor in Northern Virginia for a couple of years. Didn't like it very much. And then in my early 30s, I, became, I, I took a job as an English teacher teaching literature, to, English literature. To, actually, I wound up a, a theater teacher, an English teacher, and a basketball coach. It was a great <laughs> job. I got, to, I got to talk about books, direct a play, and coach basketball all in the same day. It was pretty much as good as life was going to get. Um, but over the time teaching, I sort of re... I got, I, I, uh, I got interested in writing again. And uh, uh, I, in my early 40s, I, uh, I, did, I thought I was done. I would never go down this sucker rabbit hole again. I, you know, like I, that door was closed. And in, in private and, in, and without telling them, I started working on the short drop. Oh. And uh, I kept it a secret. Like, I just didn't tell anyone. I, 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 you know, if, when you write a book for a long time, people start teasing you about it. Like, how's it coming along? How's your book coming on? Oh, are you writing a book? And you could hear the air quotes around book. And I just, I didn't have that. I didn't have a lot of air quotes in me. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to do this privately. No thoughts of publishing it whatsoever. I got about halfway through and I went, this might actually, there might actually be something to this. So I showed it to a few friends who I knew would not BS me, who mm -hmm. were 
cruel and heartless bastards. And I was like, would you keep reading this? Is this worth finishing? And they all said, yeah, we would finish it. It took me about two and a half years. And uh, I've been writing. I, 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 I had a very fortunate sort of um, launch. I, uh, I found an agent. Uh, I got a publishing deal. And I was able to quit my day job and write full time. Uh, and I have been ever since. So I like to say I'm an overnight success 22 years in the making. Yeah, I don't think there's such a thing as overnight success in uh, in this business, is there? <laughs> no, there's all. Yeah, I know it, it, it always looks like it. I think yeah. that's one of the came out of nowhere. <laughs> yes, exactly. They're like, oh my god, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, maybe there are in other professions, maybe in acting, maybe in music, but I think there's always a lot of hard work that you don't see. Um, and so it always looks like, oh, well, they just wrote a book and they just and, and now they're a big star. And like, that's just not how certainly not how publishing works. Yeah. And so now, so Constance, that's such a, such an interesting concept. You're like really melding different uh, kind of like genres, like uh, it's in the future and it's a, it's a thriller and uh, the whole cloning thing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How you got the idea for that? And what was the process like for, for Constance? So a game I like to play with myself is take a very familiar uh, conceit or genre and can I twist it? Can I make something new out of it? Something that I haven't seen before. And uh, usually the answer to that is no, uh, but it's a really useful mental exercise to go through. And sometimes I get good ideas. And one night uh, I started noodling with the idea of like, wouldn't it be cool if someone had to investigate their own murder? All right. I, all right. I haven't have I seen that before? And I, I could think of some ghost stories where you've seen that. I, I could think of some supernatural, you know, a ghost needs uh, their spirit to be put to rest and their murder to be solved. I've seen that, but I'd never seen someone actually, you know, it, you know sort of uh, paradoxical. How do you investigate your own murder? And I went to, you know, like I couldn't think of anything. I couldn't think of anything. I got into bed. I was lying in bed and as I was falling asleep, it was about 1230. I went, well, what if it was a clone? And it was, and I had one of those eureka moments. I did like a, a movie style sit up in bed, <laughs> like, oh, if it's the clone, then, and it, and the wheel started spinning. I got out of bed and I, I went to the computer and I was up, you know, all night writing an outline, starting to world build. And I wrote what eventually became chapter four. It was originally chapter one, but I wrote a, something that, that is was very close to what chapter four is now, and uh, I went. That's cool. I you know, and I very rarely think anything I've come up with is cool. But I was like, I think this is cool. Um, but I was right in the middle of the second Gibson Bond book, and I so I put it in a drawer, and I went okay, and I I would take it out periodically, and I would noodle with it, and start to flesh it out, and it just kept growing. But it really just started from a very simple like. I think it would be cool if someone had to investigate their own murder and everything. It was kind of a, a back to front, like developed, like thought process. I sort of came up with the conceit and then had to come up with, with a way to justify it. Like, how, okay, how do I justify this nonsense? And once I had the conceit, everything else sort of grew out of that. Well, good thing you shut out of bed because you would have gone back to sleep. You probably, probably would have gone. <laughs> and that is, for anyone listening, that is my the best piece of writing advice 
I can give you is, is if, if keep a notebook by your bed. If you have an idea as you're falling asleep, which is when I always have my ideas and the number of times I've woken up in the morning, like, oh, what was the, the oh, that, oh, damn it, yeah. gone. So, you know, if you think of something, write it down because it will go away. <laughs> and I was, I was uh, looking at your, uh, uh, when I was doing a little research for the interview, um, you put in a lot of research. You like actually talked to like, a, what is it? A, I wrote it just down here. A, a neuropsychology expert at John Hopkins University. How do, how do you find these people? And were they eager to talk to you? Were they like, eh, writer? No, I mean, it, it's, you know, in my experience, it is, well, one two things. One, you know, Washington, D.C. is kind of an amazing resource. You know, there are you know, there are people, you know, Johns Hopkins is just up the road. We have a, a thriving biotech corridor uh, between DC and Maryland. We've got computers. And then we have an expert in almost every field, uh, either, you know, from a policy standpoint or so. I, one of my books I was doing, I, I, the Breed line had a plot line about um, human trafficking. And I made a call and I was like, do you know anyone who knows anything about human trafficking? And it's sort of like two degrees of separation. Was, oh, I know a person who lobbies on human trafficking and I'd be happy to put you in touch. Um, and you know, nine times out of 10, you tell someone, hey, can I buy you a drink? I'm writing a, a thriller about your subject area. And people are are usually really generous with their time. They're, they're you know, it's, it, they love, you know, people love to talk about what they know about. And oftentimes no one will ask you, no, no one asks anyone, tell me what you know a lot about. Mm-hmm. You know, generally people want to talk about themselves and, uh, it, it, you know, it, or, you know, or the car just talk about, oh, what movies have you seen? What sports have you seen? But to just say to someone, like, tell me about your area of expertise, this thing that you do and are passionate about all day. Generally, people sort of jump at it, and and there are just a lot of experts in near to where I live. So I've always been very, very lucky. Um, and just with Constance, you know, it was once I decided that I was going to do it, and I was going to do it. You know, the book is set in twenty in the late twenty thirties, uh, twenty forty. It was only sort of twenty years in the future. I was like, all right, I kind of, I want to give this a grounding. And as I looked around. There, you know, I, I think probably, you know, human cloning is further away than I, I project in the book. But there are some pieces of what of the technology that Constance uses that are already happening. There are like the ability to scan the human brain. Uh, quant- you know, there, there are pieces of it that are further along than I had any idea that that, that was happening. That was really interesting to sort of dig into and, and learn more about. Oh yeah, that's scary. I didn't realize that for the human, the actual human brains they're scanning and they are starting. They they are starting the process. Wow. Uh, not to the and again, not to the degree that uh, that 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 they're able to do in Constance, but I mean, Constance sort of, you know, I, I sort of uh, cheat and say that there are certain breakthroughs that sort of jump the process. But I, but you see, you know, they are talking about the ability to store human consciousness. How, how to store human consciousness is now on the table, not in the near future, but we are definitely on, I think, I think we are legitimately on that path. And now when you do all this research, when do you, um, 
how do you know like when it's time to stop and do, is it hard to like go through it all do you end up with like a lot of research and what to put in and what to not put in a, into a book i'm kind of curious about that process so i think you know I, you know you do the, your research and then you want to put it all in because <laughs> you've done all this work and you know it's it's, a, it's like world building you know science fiction authors and fantasy authors we do all this, and I guess I am now technically a science fiction author. I, you know, you do all of this research, and you and you try and build a world, a believable three-dimensional world that you can put the reader into, and they can feel okay, like this is a real place. And your instinct, your desire, because you've done all this work, is to put it all in. But I think the the truth of it is, is that less is more. That a lot like a, like a theater play. Like if you look at a if you look at a realistic stage from the audience, everything looks great. If you walk around behind it, it's just plywood. It's unpainted with some supports, and from the backside, a theater set doesn't look like very much. A movie set is the same way. Like when you build when they build sets, like from the inside, it looks absolutely perfect. If you're standing on the other side of the wall, it's pretty flimsy. <laughs> and I think that, you know, there, there's no point in painting and building the side of the wall that the, the audience slash reader doesn't see. And the instinct to overdo it, you're going to wind up slowing down your story. You're going to wind up, you know, uh, shortchanging the characters, which I think are the things that really, so in my, my philosophy of it is uh, do the research so that and make it feel real to the reader, but only use as much of it as the reader needs to feel that that, that environment, that world, the rules make sense. Like J.R. Tolkien, clever man, right? Mm -hmm. Probably no one ever did more world building than, than he did, but he was smart to do the Cimmerillion separately. He said, okay, here's the Lord of the Rings, here's the Hobbit, and over here, for the people who really want to know everything I got up to, here's how you read Elvish. You know, for, for the uh, you know, here's how you read Elvish. Here are the the kings going back 600 years. Here's all of that stuff that you don't need in the book, but that you can feel. I think the reader can feel all of that work that Tolkien put into it without actually having it all on the page. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. I, I saw that the. David Baldacci had a has a masterclass and that masterclass.com and he showed us a binder like it was huge of all his research and he said it only being about a paragraph in the book. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And I think you know it's like I, I, not to name names, but if you start to think about some of the really, you know, as writers get more powerful without naming names, next time you're in a bookstore, look at some of the big and most famous fantasy science fiction series out there. And what you'll see is that the first book or two are pretty slim and that they start to get longer and they start to get longer. And by the fifth, sixth, seventh book, they're these massive books because now the author can do whatever they want and no one can tell them no. And so all of their research winds up in the book and the reader complaint is like, where'd the story go? Like, you're just stopping to tell me 40 pages about the background of this world and you're getting away from the story. And, 
you know, I, you know, I would have wanted to say to that, you know, that, that yes, you're, you are selling millions of copies of your books, but you still need an editor. You need someone to rein in that impulse to use. Like Baldacci is very, very smart. Like he, you know, he is as big as anyone out there, but he, he, no, he never lost sight of that lesson. It was like, do your research and then just use a paragraph of it. That's a great, that's a great analogy. I mean, I may remember that. Yeah. And what's your process like? Do you like when you're writing a book, do you like, um, do you write every day? Do you have like word count goals? I'm just kind of curious about your writing process. It has evolved over the years. Um, I, at, at the end of every book, I do like a after action report. And I've asked myself like, what did, what went well with the writing of that book? What went badly? What can I improve? And one of the things that lately I've come to realize is that I never take days off and that wine, that, that, I don't take weekends off that I really hadn't taken a vacation in years and that that sort of like pressure, that self like guilt, like why aren't you working? Why aren't you working was leading to less and less uh, productivity. So I, on this book, I am purposely giving myself the weekends off. I am not working on the weekends and it, some days I do not, I, I, some weeks I don't actually do that, but that's the rule. And it is so. Uh, I work Monday to Friday. I write, uh, you know, from about six a.m. till noon. Uh, try and get some exercise. Uh, have lunch. Get some exercise. I take a nap because I love naps more than life itself. Um, and my brain is just tired at that point. And then I get up and I will work on other things uh, in the in the late afternoon. Um, and then start the process over again. But I, and that has shrunk. Like it used to be, I would work from the moment I got up until, you know, I just dropped at like five or six. And again, over time, I've just learned that I it is. While it it feels like a responsible way to work, it was actually like the returns were diminishing. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So. Is that yeah? I can imagine that it'd be that it's like getting burned out probably. Then if you're like <laughs> doing it every day or. <laughs> Uh, I think it's a real problem. Yeah. You, you just, you know, I really love what I do and I, I'm incredibly fortunate to be able to do it and knowing when to step away, when to decompress is incredibly important. Uh, and I think it's, it's something that Americans were really bad at. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, uh, culturally we are driven to, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's one of those interesting things, you know, in America, one of the first questions anyone asks anyone is, what do you do? Uh, in France, that's not a question that comes up. I yeah. guess it's, it's, it's culturally very different. Like that's not the thing that they find most interesting about you. I'm trying to be a little bit more French for <laughs> not very good at it, but, uh, <laughs> trying to learn something from the French. Yeah. I thought when I was looking for a, I was hiring a freelancer for something and they were in the, in Eastern Europe or, and uh, they were like, Oh yeah, well, we're shutting down from like I can't remember what it was, but basically it was like from like December fifth to like uh, January thirtieth or something. <laughs> like, yeah, we're all shut down. Uh, we'll, we'll be back after that, and we can and we're like, wow, <laughs> like a month and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. The uh, you know in, in France, uh, like July and August, just nothing's getting done. Like everyone's on their summer vacation. <laughs> everyone's gone. Um, and so, and it's so antithetical to like Americans just can't wrap their minds around it. Like, yeah. What, what, you know, what, what do you mean you get more than six days off a year? Well, I don't even understand what you're talking about. And are you still working on the uh, Gibson Vaughn uh, series? Is it going to be more of those books or not? I am, uh, 
right now I'm working with a fellow uh, in Los Angeles trying to develop uh, a framework for a possible Gibson Vaughn television series, uh, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, it's not something I've done before, and he's uh, uh, very experienced with it. It's been a really good learning experience like, that, that what works for books doesn't necessarily work for TV and vice versa, and sort of and learning how to, you know, that adapting is not merely taking, all right, we well, hear the words on the page, throw it on the screenplay page, and you're done. Like, it's a much more, you know, you, you just, you know, there are things that television does well and, and film does well that, that books don't do well, and vice versa. Uh, and so that has been an incredibly valuable learning experience. Um, as for writing more Gibson Vaughn books, I don't see at the moment uh, the series felt after after uh, Origami Man, it felt like it had come to sort of a natural conclusion. Uh, but then I had another idea. So like, oh, well, maybe. Uh, so we'll have to see. Uh, I, I think it was largely sort of like pulling the books out and looking at them again for the, this, the, the work on this television idea that I was like, oh, I miss these guys. Like, like they were really fun to write and to think about and to, to live with. And, and uh, so, again, you know, we'll just have to see what comes. And Constance, that comes out on September 1st, right, I believe? Yeah. Yes, sir. September yeah. the 1st. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, we've talked about the cloning and the solving the bird. But can you tell us a little bit about the actual story, like a little uh, what the what readers can expect when they're reading that uh, one of your books if they haven't if they're not familiar with your work. So, uh, my work has often been described as character driven, uh, which I don't, I can't decide whether I like that <laughs> or or I, I don't know exactly what character driven means. But I, I think to some extent, you know, I can't think of a story that's not character driven. But I think I think what they mean by that is that that. Uh, that the characters have life to them and are, and, and are you know, are, I, what I, let me rephrase, what I hope they mean is that you would want to know something about these characters, even if something terrible wasn't happening to them. I mean, that's the thing about being a thriller writer is that you write these characters and then you are incredibly sadistic to them. You do things to them that you wouldn't do to your worst enemy. You're like, all right, how can I make your life a living hell for the next 300 pages? Um, where you're not really going to be happy for one blessed minute of it. And that's basically what writing a thriller is. It's like, or writing any sort of, uh, you know, you know, that, you know, there aren't very many books written about just happy people living happy, leading happy lives. It's almost always like John was happy. And then the asshole thriller writer showed up and framed him for murder and good luck to you, John. I hope you can get yourself out of that one. Um, and so the book is about a, a young woman. She's 24. Her name is Constance Darcy. She's from West Texas, but and she was a musician who winds up in uh, in Washington D.C., where a company named Paleogenesis has developed uh, commercial cloning, which is essentially they offer a life insurance policy. So the the, the, the premise of the book is that Paleogenesis will for a absorbent fee, sort of a, a fee that really is only affordable to the 1%, uh, upload your consciousness and store it and create a clone backup of your, of your, your body. And in the event that 
tragedy befalls and you are killed, Paline Genesis will be notified immediately and will download your stored consciousness into your stored clone, activate the clone, and you will go on. You, you, you will, you will, uh, you know, your life will not be ended by this tragic event. Um, and the big problem they found with it is that there's, that is memory gap and that, that clones really struggle if they have a lot of what the company calls lag, which is the, the gap between the last time your consciousness was, was uploaded and the moment that you die. And that the longer that period goes on, the more the, the clone feels like an imposter or a fake. And they don't remember three days or a week or three weeks. And that the longer, the bigger that space gets, the more conflicted and, 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 and more, the more struggle they have. And also it leaves a very convenient blank spot. So when my hero uh, dies unexpectedly and uh, her clone is activated, she doesn't know what happened to her. She doesn't know why the, 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 her original died or, or what was going on. And so she has to set out on this exploration to find out who she, you know, who she's become in the in the interim, what happened to her, and hopefully solve this mystery. So it's uh, what I what I you know the, the idea that I had at the beginning that is still the thing that I'm excited is that she is both victim and the detective. She is thrust into both roles and has to play both parts. Uh, and yeah, and that it I think that is. That's what I really just loved about the, the idea. I'm very excited to sort of put out in the world and see how people respond to it. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been awesome because yeah, uh, such a cool idea. Uh, kind of reminded me of that movie where the it starts with the guy was poisoned and he's trying to figure out who poisoned him. <laughs> the, DOA, DOA, yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's just uh, it, it, yes, yeah, because it's kind of hard to put down because you want to see. You know, like she's trying to figure out, and we're reading it uh, uh, at the same time. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a great, uh, great book to read. So, um, so yeah, so I can see why I kept you up at night. <laughs> why I shot out of bed? <laughs> yeah. And um, were you a fan of the of, of thrillers and science fiction uh, as a reader before you started to write your own books? I did. I uh, you know, uh, true confession, I had not actually read a lot of thrillers prior to it. I, I read, I had read some fantasy. I, I, I dabble. I, I, I sort of jump around a lot. But I, you know, I would say that prior to, I was an English teacher. I was a snobby English literature <laughs> teacher. So my taste in books ran more towards what I think, what I think is sort of foolishly called literary fiction, uh, dismissively. I think all books or literature. I think that, that, that I, I think I have had an education on that subject. Uh, I'd always liked Raymond Chandler. I'd liked James Kane, uh, 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 James um, a lot of the Black Lizard, Jim Thompson. I really liked that sort of spare noir 50s, uh, um, uh, just great uh, hard-boiled yeah. uh, American stuff. My parents are huge mystery thriller readers. 
So when I decided I would write one, I just I went over to their house and just started stealing five or six books at a time and read and reading them, uh, devouring them really. Uh, so I have been making up for lost time, but I uh, I am not, uh, you know, I go to mystery thriller conferences and I'm always put to shame by some of my peers who are so much better versed and, and more widely read on uh, in, in, within the, the genre than I am. Uh, I, you know, so it's been nice. It's been a nice discovering how much I like these books and these writers. So, um, yeah, that's a great, uh, yeah, the Black Lizard ones. I, I, I bought a anthology of that once uh, like a few years ago. It's like, it's really thick. It's like all those pulp writers from the magazines from the 50s, or I think maybe even older. Yeah, those are awesome to read that. Uh, just, they're all like little short stories. It was like someone took, uh, you know, it was that generation of American writers that were all sort of imitating Hemingway to one, to one degree or another. And they're like, all right, well, let's take what Hemingway does and we will translated to crime fiction and you know the results were you know you know like that sort of like very spare not a lot of adjectives not a lot of adverbs not a lot of you know, flowery prose just very uh um declarative short sentences and then the, the results were very very cool um and now that with the um, you have this other uh, conscious is coming out now how is it how's the uh are you doing like the book tours and conferences? Are they coming back now after the pandemic? Well, we're still in the pandemic, but it's a good. Still- <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to that's going to be interesting. I am going to BoucherCon at the end of August, although I know a number of writers who have who I already know are are, are, are holding off still. Uh, I think most of the uh, most of the most of the. Yeah, uh, a book tour, if you want to call it that, will be virtual still. Um, I just don't think we're we're quite back there. I think you know if we if we continue the way we are, uh, I think books that come out at the end of the year might be more like liable to do that. Although uh, I, I I I see online, I see authors who are do who are back in and doing it. So I think it's just everyone's individual comfort level. I think the decision was made that it's just you know, better to err on the side of caution uh, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Especially now they got all these the different variants that are coming up and stuff. So yeah, still a little freaky all, out there. <laughs> they all sound like Michael Crichton novels, the yes. Omega variant, the, the Theta variant, the Lombada. It's like, okay. All right. Um, although I joke, it's like, it, you know, the, the last year and a half, Yeah, if I had written, half of this stuff into the plot of a book, I get laughed out of a room. Yeah. Just there, there's, there's so many strange things that have happened that you're like, you just couldn't get away in, within a book. Yeah. Coincidences and, 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 and behavior that you're like, nah, no, one could, no, that's not believable. That wouldn't happen. I'm like, but it's in the newspaper. That's, <laughs> it's not even a book. It's like this, but you know, the, 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 it's interesting. The burden for realism in a book is much higher than the burden for realism in reality. Uh, you can you can get away with things in real life that you know that you just can't get away with in the book. People was not going to buy for a second, even if they'd read in the newspaper the day before and I had straight straight up stolen it. Yeah, they put the book down. There's no way somebody would uh, want to bring down an airplane because they have to wear a mask. No way. <laughs> then you read it in the newspaper. <laughs> I saw I saw a newspaper story uh, last week where. A woman led the Florida 
state police on a high-speed chase, and they caught her because she stopped at a McDonald's drive-thru. <laughs> for drive-thru. And that's how they caught her. Like, she was, like, getting away, and she was like, what I need is a happy meal right now. <laughs> and that's where the police found her. And if I put that in a book, <laughs> if I said my hero had was, like, getting away and the police couldn't catch him in there, and he's like, you know what? I, I really need a Whopper. <laughs> and yeah. now he's in jail. The reader would throw that book across the room. Like, that is just, this person has no idea how to write a book. Um, and that's, that, that's, that's one of the frustrating things about it is that you, you, know, you get an idea or something that quite feasibly happened, but you just can't, you just can't, it can't take you here. You can't take you here to McDonald's, not, <laughs> not during a high speed chase. And what do you think you're going to do with the pandemic uh, in future books? Do you think you're going to address it or ignore it? I, I've been asking this for my guests and most are saying they're going to ignore it because we all got COVID fatigue. <laughs> it's kind of curious what your take is in, on it. I, I had an idea for a, I had an idea for a book about it and I pitched it to my publisher and they were like, nope. <laughs> like, but, but it's a good idea. Like, oh, it's a good idea. But no, thank you very much. What else you got? And I was like, okay. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. You know, you, it's always interesting how books and art, ref, you know, they, you know, you, you, one of the things you can always say is if you want to tell what scares Americans, look at their horror movies. You know, if you look at the 1950s, it's all, uh, it's all stuff, you know, during Sputnik and the Cold War, it's all, uh, aliens and irradiated monsters. Mm -hmm. It's attack of the 50 foot woman or it's the blob or the thing or, you know, stuff coming down or, or invasion the original 1958 invasion, of the body snatchers. And as you go through the decades, you know, post Vietnam, you see the rise of all of a sudden the monsters are people. It's the rise of the slasher film. All of a sudden the monsters are no longer, you know, tentacled. They're just, men with 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 uh, hockey masks chasing after people cutting them up um and i think there's always a you know th that there's a reflection in the culture and in the art of what's scaring us or what's on our mind or what's causing us anxiety um you know one of the golden eras of paranoid political thrillers is post watergate you know all of those great you know robert ludlum books, The Born Identity, they're all, you know, all the big political conspiracy, uh, Six Days of the Condor, um, those are all a response to uh, Watergate and the, and, and the Pentagon Papers and sort of mistrust of the government. What's interesting is so far, I haven't really seen that, you know, to your question, it's a really interesting one. Like I have, how will art and entertainment respond to you know the period that we that we're been through and continuing to live through um will there be a direct response will we start to see horror films uh that address it will you know zombie fiction start to uh you know build in some of the things we've learned from how we've responded to covid i don't know but it's or will you know we all just be like no we have fatigue and give me a nice shiny Marvel movie and where, you know, the concerns are, you know, I, where I don't have to think about it. And uh, I think that's going to be a very, I'm, I'm very curious to watch and see how that all plays out in the next couple of years. So let's see, you're working on, you're working on the, on the television uh, 
uh, work that you were doing? Are, are you are you getting ready to write another book as well, or what's uh, what's up next? I am half. I am well. I so I was. I uh, I am actually writing a companion piece to Constance. Um, it's not a direct sequel. Uh, it takes place in the same world. Uh, uh, originally, Constance was supposed to be a standalone book. That was going to be the end of it. Um, and my publisher said, my publisher came to me and said, we think we'd like another one. And I went, well, that's great. I don't have another one. <laughs> um, and then a day or two later, I was taking a shower, the other place I do my best thinking. <laughs> um, and I had, like, I had a fully formed idea for a second book. And I called him up. I was like, okay, I got one. I said, what are you talking about? You just said you didn't have one. I was like, well, I took a shower and I solved the problem. Um, <laughs> okay, and so I am. I'm about at the midway point of of a, a second one. It's called Chance. Uh, it follows another character uh, experiencing their own clone dilemma, um, and I'm 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 kind of optimistic about it. I quite like it a lot. I think it it, it surprised me. I didn't think I wanted to write uh, another book in the world, but this one is really. I'm really excited about it, it's, uh, and uh, looking forward to seeing how it turns out. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, Thomas and Mercer, that's your publisher, right? I mean, they're they I keep reading all these books from their from from their authors, and they seem to really be doing a good job at uh, at getting a, a great uh, books like that out. Uh, do, you, do you enjoy working with them? And they have been uh, terrific. The, uh, the the woman who runs it is a woman named Grace Doyle, who is who is just been a terrific ally and friend and uh she's been she was not my she was not my acquiring editor uh the, the man who bought the book who bought short drop i left the company uh right after short drop was released and grace replaced him but she's done an amazing job building it up and it's a really become a really interesting home they you know they have this interesting cross-section of sort of undiscovered authors, but they've also, you know, they're doing, um, uh, they're, 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 they've signed up uh, some big heavy, they're doing some work with Dean Koontz. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they've signed, um, uh, um, I want to say Patricia Cornwall, but I might have, I might have just pulled that name out of my, uh, my backside. Um, and yeah, and I, I really just love what they're doing. They've been and they've been uh, incredibly supportive. I mean, I you know, oftentimes I think when an author comes along, it's like, well, I've been writing a straight sort of thriller, and now I want to do a science fiction novel. The reaction is, <laughs> no, 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 stay in your lane, do the one thing. Uh, like we're doing well with this, just keep doing it. When I came to them with the idea for Constance, I was really ready for some like. Uh, you know, from someone else, yes, but from you, you know, give us another Gibson Vaughn. What? And they really, they're like, they saw it and they understood it, and they really put a lot of. They've been hugely supportive of it in the lead up to the launch, and I couldn't be happier with what they what they've done for the book. That's great. Yeah, and that uh, again comes September first. Um, what? Uh, where's a good place for uh, listeners to find you? Uh, I'm assuming your website. You have a great information on your website. 
Uh, yes, my I am uh, www.matthewfitzsimmons.com. It's a very, very clever title. <laughs> uh, I'm also on Twitter. You can from there, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I do not have a TikTok channel because <laughs> I'm just not that clever. I don't. I feel like that. I I don't know any authors who are on TikTok. I feel like that is not uh, an author friendly uh, platform or not friendly. But uh, I don't think that uh, TikTok is necessarily. We're not necessarily the most photogenic uh, group of professionals in the world. Uh, yeah, I still, so can't get, I still can't wrap my head around TikTok yet either. I'm, <laughs> I'm too old, I guess. <laughs> right, exactly. I feel like there's that sort of, uh, like, I've seen TikTok videos and they're very clever and they're great. I'm like, but I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave that to the young, the, the, the young, the, the, the young visionaries. I'm going to stick to 160 words and uh, the odd photograph on Instagram. And that's about as, uh, uh, daring as I'm going to get with it. <laughs> and so before I let you go, I was uh, like to, my last question I like to ask is because I have aspiring writers that listen to the podcast, any advice, especially I love yours because you, you stopped and you, you started up again. Uh, any advice for aspiring writers? So the advice that, you know, so when I was a, so I, I taught English for 12 years um, and you know, I, the curriculum changed over time and evolved, but there were certain books that I taught for six or seven years at a time. And as an English teacher, you wind up, you know, you read them, you know, when, when you're getting ready for the year, you would reread it. Even if you'd read it before, you reread it. And then as you're doing it in a class, you sort of reread again in the night before. So, you know, before, the, before I start a book, I would read it. And then as we were reading it, or right, read the next two chapters, I would read along with them that night. So it was very, very fresh in my mind. And what that led to was there were certain books that I had probably read 50 or 60 times over the course of 12 years. And I think one of the pieces of advice that, and it's a correct piece of advice, which is to read, read a lot. Like you read a lot, read broadly, read everything you can get your hands on. And I think that's absolutely true. But I one of the things that we don't do is reread. Um, and it was invaluable to me. If you have an album that you love, you know, what's your favorite album? Like, what's, what's your favorite album? Oh, mine? Yeah, what's your favorite album? Uh, I don't know. I have to think about it. Uh... I'm more of a heavy metal kind of guy. So like the old deep purple, the seventies just popped in my head. <laughs> okay. So old deep purple, how many, so what's the best deep purple album in your opinion? The, uh, I can't remember the title, the concert one, the double one with smoke in the, the water. One? Yeah. How many times have you listened to that? Lots of times. I still have the old record. It's all scratched up. <laughs> exactly. So, you, you know, so we listen to our favorite music hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. Yeah, you, know, thousands. you know, those songs note for note. But our favorite books, we read once, maybe twice, and then we move on. And I think there, if you, so my advice is, if you come across a book that, that really speaks to you, read it again, and then again, because that author probably spent years working on that book, and you didn't get it. You didn't get everything they did. You didn't see... You know, in the same way that you, you hear new things when you listen to your favorite song for the hundredth time and you don't really start to see what they're doing. I think the same thing is true for books is the, the, the value and the education and really seeing how as you start to pull 
a great paragraph or a great chapter apart that that you're like, oh, I wish I could do something like that. Stop and figure out how they did it. And and I mean, I I don't think I would be writing today if I had not been an English teacher. Like I learned so much from that process. So that's my that's my that's my big piece of advice is yeah. read narrow read narrowly. Yeah, that's such a, that's such a good point too because yeah yeah. I've had so many books and books. I used to just get rid of them, but records. You know, the old. I still have records from when I was fifteen. <laughs> it's yep, exactly. So weird that with the the yeah, it's such a good. Well, point. I mean, well, I mean, there's, I mean, and there's a built-in problem there is that like you can listen to your favorite album while you're doing something else. Yes, yeah, you can listen to your favorite album in thirty minutes. Um, some, you know, I mean, the longest albums are sort of thirty to sixty minutes long. That's about as long as it's going to get. A book is more of a commitment and some people read faster and some people read slower so there is a sense, sense of like well life is short i need to read a new book like i've already read that one so i think the the investment of like i'm not saying reread everything but i'm just saying if you find certain books that are like this is my style this is my you know this is a person i would want to emulate and learn from the investment is worth it it was for me all right, Matthew. Well, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. Really enjoyed talking to you. And as mentioned, Constance will be out September 1st. And so uh, people should go check it out. It's a great read. Thank you, Alan. I really, really enjoyed being here. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Meet the Thriller Author. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with one of your favorite writers of mysteries and thrillers. Or if this episode's guest is new to you, I hope you give their books a chance. Helping listeners discover new authors and books is one of the coolest outcomes of doing this podcast. As always, you can head over to thrillerauthors.com to sign up to my Thrilling Reads email list. That way you won't miss out on any great deals in thriller and mystery books. You can also check out all the links and resources in the show notes for this episode over at thrillerauthors.com. And also please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already and leave a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to this show. If you have done that already, I thank you. I really do appreciate your support. For my other links to my author website, social media haunts, and more uh, check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links all my links will be uh, on that uh, page so that's it for this episode uh, see you next time and stay safe out there